I V M I V M Hello and welcome to the Habit Coach podcast. I am Ashtin Doctor, your Habit Coach, and today we're going to deep dive into a very interesting conversation. We're going to be talking about addiction, alcohol addiction, other addictions because this is something that I know very little about, but it is something that I know is very important for us not just because of some of us who might be addicted or our family members, but it is something that we need to know so that we can differentiate between what is an addiction and what isn't. So we have an expert with us, Dr. Rob Kelly, who's going to take us through understanding addiction. So Dr. Kelly, welcome to the Happy Coach Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Hey guys at home, great to see you guys. My name is Dr. Rob Kelly. They call me the addiction doctor. And uh, yeah, the reason why I like to talk about addiction is first of all, I'm a chronic alcoholic that recovered. I lost everything, children, wives, cars, houses, business, medical license. But I'm the only person that uh, I've studied alcoholism and addiction uh, using neuroscience and understanding that we can fully recover if you know what addiction is. So let's just say alcoholism for now, and you can just put anything that you're addicted, porn, food, you know, whatever it is, is the most misunderstood disease in the world. If you ask somebody what is an alcoholic, they will tell you that it's somebody who drinks too much alcohol. Now, that's not true. Okay, it's not the it's not the amounts we take. It's it's about what happens chemically, biochemically in the brain, and also there's two parts of the brain with the alcoholic that tells us to drink. So the understanding of that and the most biggest thing is and going back is trauma. Trauma is the gateway drug. And we found out this some 10 years ago and people wouldn't listen to us, but it really is. So for people listening going, well, I don't know much about addiction or I'm not an addict. Alcohol has 1% to do with alcoholism and the same with drug addiction. Okay. It's 1%. The alcohol that you see is a symptom. It's like my, if I have chicken pots, you see the spots. They're the symptom of my disease, my illness, which can kill me as an adult. It's the same thing with alcohol. So the more we understand and the more we find out, and the other biggest problem we have is alcoholism deaths and, and addiction deaths do not go down in the hospital late at night as alcoholism. They go down as liver failure, you know, kidney failure, car crash, whatever it may be. So the figures are wrong. Everybody knows somebody who suffers from an addiction. And if you don't, it's probably you. I love that. Okay, it's interesting because this was what um, I hadn't realized as well. You know, we normally look at people saying that, oh, you have a drinking problem, you're probably an alcoholic. I have so many people who come up and tell me that, oh, you, Ashton, if I have one drink, you know, it's just, I, I just like drink everybody else under the table. And either they're very proud of it or they're shameful about it. But mm. you're saying it is completely different. It's not the same thing. Correct. So first of all, we have to understand that alcoholism is the only self-diagnosed illness in the world. So people will come to me and say, do you think I'm an alcoholic, Dr. Rob? And it all, it's all about trauma and history. If you can trace alcoholism back through your generations. And if you can't, there's likely probability that you are abusing alcohol, two different things all together. If you're drinking heavy, abusing alcohol, you can stop or moderate if you wish to. If you're the alcoholic, because alcoholics are born, drug addicts are made. It's an interesting quote that we can back up Correct. with data. So okay. we're born this way. 
And it's just a matter of time before we cross over to drinking alcoholically, whereas the drinker who abuses alcohol, both seem to present themselves the same, is completely different. So there's an alcoholic and then there's an alcohol abuser. Yes. Now, an alcoholic, you're saying, is, it's an inherited uh, trait? Is it, a, is it a gene thing? Is it an inherited trauma? What is it? It is. It's a predisposition passed down from generation to generation. It may skip a generation. And there's, two, there's a couple of things that make an alcoholic. Um, first of all, it's a biochemical reaction to the ethanol in alcohol. Okay, so we're not allergic to alcohol. Let's go deeper. It's the ethanol and alcohol. So it may skip a generation, but it's there. So we're born this way. And the reason that you're an alcoholic and not a heavy drinker is the hypothalamus, which is the bottom towards the back of the brain, it's our fight or flight part of the brain. So it will tell people, normal people who don't have a drink problem, to eat food, drink water. So when we look at a baby when it's born, we don't have to tell the baby to, it needs to eat or drink. It has its hand down its mouth or it cries for food because it knows it's hungry. Fight or flight, it's part of the hypothalamus. It's an inborn part of fight or flight, how we survive. With the alcoholic, over a period of time, the hypothalamus becomes damaged. And what happens with the alcoholic, the hypothalamus and the basal ganglia, which we'll get in in a second, the hypothalamus over a period of time will click and tell an alcoholic to drink alcohol only. That's why I could go weeks, even months without food or water because the brain was telling me to drink. Also the basal ganglia, which is kind of our repetition strengthen and confirms part of the brain. Let's say for instance, a pilot needs 10,000 hours in the air before he can fly a commercial plane. That's the basal ganglia, learning, repetition, learning, repetition. What happens with the alcoholic basal ganglia is there's a chink somewhere in that repetition, which say everything's good, the wife's back, job's back, kids are great, great at work, my social life is amazing, and then self-sabotage. And it just keeps going round and round unless it's fixed. So the self-sabotage is what brings about the alcohol addiction? Am I getting that right? Yes. It, well, the self-sabotage is the alcohol. The addiction comes from predisposition. So what happens to me when I was drinking is I would build up these great things around me, nice house, nice car, blah, blah, blah. And then what happens is overnight or one morning I get up, uh, I want to self-sabotage. And for me, that was alcohol. So I go to the liquor store at eight o'clock in the morning and I would drink and drink a drink. And what happens to an alcoholic when he takes the first drink, and here's the other difference, he cannot stop. So an abuser giving sufficient reason by the doctor or wife says, if you don't stop drinking, I'm going to leave you. Them guys can stop or moderate. The problem with the alcoholic is we cannot stop. So we drink into oblivion. What happens is we pass out and we come round. We come to. We don't go to bed and sleep and get up in the morning. So when we wake up, I'm looking for the bottle of vodka that I hid the night before because I need to drink. So when we look at the hypothalamus again, it's telling me the only thing I need to do today is drink alcohol. Yes, but the doctor of the children have left. The only thing I need to do today is drink alcohol. And that's the huge difference. Because you would have thought when they took my children off me, or when I stabbed my wife three times because she wouldn't let me finish my bottle of vodka, you would have think the normal person would go, hey, I think, whoa, that's enough, Rob. But the problem being is my brain doesn't work like other people's. And only an alcoholic would understand why I would stab somebody so I could grab the vodka and finish drinking. Everybody else says it's insane. It is insane. 
it's a mental illness in 1979, the World Health Organization classed it as a disease because the biochemical reaction passed down. And only recently, as the medical fraternity got on board and said, hey, this is not a choice. Because there's no choice when the brain's telling you to do this. You know, Dr. Kelly, this is something that is so far away from, you know, the way that we understand alcohol, at least mm. I, that I understand alcohol. Yes. Um, how would you share your journey? And how did you get to a place where, you know, you realized that it was an addiction? Like, when did it start? Well, it starts at the age of nine years old when I was on stage with a musical family and my uncle gave me a beer because I was so nervous. And I drank the beer and my whole life seemed to set off. So through, uh, through the years, I didn't know then because nobody knew about alcoholism. But the, the more I drank, the more I relied on it. And uh, I tried all sorts to control my drink and I got married, didn't work. Had a first child, didn't work. Had a second child, didn't work. And eventually, drinking, 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 drink is the hypothalamus again tells me to drink and nothing else really matters. My wife left. They, she took the children. Shortly after that, my house was, was foreclosed on. I lost my car, wife, house, kids, holiday home, medical license. I lost everything and ended up homeless. But the problem is with my head telling me to drink, my brain, is I didn't think I had a problem. I just thought I was going through some bad luck and it will be okay in a couple of weeks. The problem is, is nobody came. Nobody came to rescue me. They treated me like a leper. They said, you're just a drunk, an alcoholic, go die. And that was my mom, by the way, because she was sick to death of sitting and waiting and watching me die slowly. And then uh, one day I had a huge, after 14 months on the streets, I had a huge spiritual awakening where one morning I dropped to my hands and knees about two o'clock in the morning and I started to sob like a baby. And the reason why I was sobbing like a baby, after all the stuff I've done, all the trauma I caught, all the hurt I'd caused, the homelessness, the loss of everything, the suicide attempts, on two occasions it worked, my heart stopped and I was dead and they brought me back. After all of that, I finally dropped down to my knees and I was crying. The reason why I was crying is not because of the aforementioned things like housewife kids, is because I realized I couldn't stop drinking. And I remember looking up to the sky and going, if there is a God up there, I can't do this on my own anymore. 30 seconds later, a guy came around the corner with a little Bible in his hand, three o'clock in the morning. What's the chances of that? In a built-up area of factories, there's, no, there's not a soul around. And uh, he said, do you want help? And I said, yes. And he took me back to his house. And that's where my journey started. Wow. But I promised myself, if I ever... Because I met doctors, I met scientists on the streets, I met lecturers, I met mechanics, all these people that have succumbed to this disease that nobody really gave a chance to. So I swore to God and myself that if I ever got off the streets, I would spend the rest of my life not only working with the alcoholic, but working with their families. Because the research we've done on, let's say, the wife is with the PTSD and trauma in the alcoholic house where the, the alcoholic is raging. We tested soldiers coming back from Afghanistan, and thank you for your service, guys, and we tested the housewives. The PTSD, post-traumatic trauma, actually was the same. The, for the housewives the and, the, and yes, the people coming back. That's how much trauma and damage is done to the partner, to the housewife, for instance. So we decided to include the family, and uh, I came over to America 15 years ago, and my, my professional life just boosted, you know, we're, we're, I'm on TV, radio, I've got books out. I mean, I'm the number one go-to guy, which I'm so proud of today. 
you know. That, and then I, I just studied and studied and studied what other people weren't studying. And I knew it wasn't the alcohol. This is the reason why I knew it wasn't the alcohol. When I was on the street, I was outside the liquor store at 4.30, 5 o'clock, and it doesn't open until 7, and they can't serve alcohol till 10. I'm in oh. a little string vest. I've got my shorts, and I'm sweating, and it's snowing. So I'm going into DTs, delirium tremors, which means if I don't get a drink, I'm going to pass out, probably die, or get me to a hospital. I walked into the store because this guy knows me. He knows that I have a problem. God bless him, 5.15 or something. He opened the door. I sneaked in. He locked the door behind me. I was shaking so badly I couldn't put a sentence together. I was sweating. I got a banging headache, and my central nervous system was on fire. I put my 10 pounds on the counter. He put a bottle of vodka on the counter, and this was my reaction. <sighs> headache stopped, central nervous system calmed down, shivering stopped, sweating stopped. I was in a great mood. I not even open the bottle. The fact is, I had the bottle in my hand, and there was the realization, it's not about the alcohol. That's crazy. It was just that anticipation of the alcohol that brought about that, that release. We're going to take a quick break. See you on the other side. Hello, 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 everybody. It's been another great week on the IVM Podcast Network. Advertising is dead is back. Varun welcomes Arjun Vaidya, founder of Dr. Vaidya's, on the first episode. He talks about taking Ayurveda to urban Indians and imparts some marketing strategies. On Pesa Vesa, Anubam talks to Shrehit Karkera, co-founder of Ditto Insurance and FinShots. They discuss the intricacies of the insurance process. On All Things Policy, the Takshashila folk break down the deep economic crisis taking place in Pakistan right now. On Cock and Bull, Cyrus Ayushi, Shreyas and Abbas discuss the Prime Minister's call to put the national flag as a WhatsApp DP. And on the Life Manifesto, Zarina narrates the inspiring story of a blind man who handled his disability in an inspiring way. I'd like to remind you all about our merchandise once again. We got some amazing stuff out there with more coming soon. But go to the IBM Podcast website and check out our collection of t-shirts. You have to click on the shop tab and we'll take you to our partner Grow91's website. Do follow us on social media. We're IBM Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And remember, if you're enjoying this show or any of our other shows for that matter, please do tell a friend. Hey, you want somebody to talk to your shows about, right? So talk to them about them. Also, don't forget to rate us on any platforms you're listening to us on. And remember, you can check us out on YouTube. And finally, we would like to thank our sponsors this week, Bode Lifestyle, Small Case, Capgemini, and Intel vPro. Thank you so much for making this possible. Welcome back. All right, let's jump into the conversation. Is it the same way that dopamine works in our body? That this, this yes. is what the dopamine pathway does as well, right? Exactly. I mean, we, we did tests on uh, drug addicts who were going to relapse but didn't know when, and we asked to hang around with them. And we tested when they the thought came of alcohol, the drive to or drugs, the drive to the dealer, and, and the getting the drug and taking up the drug. And what we found in 10 out of 10 cases was that dopamine released, which is our pleasure reward, was the most, was the highest with the journey to the drug dealer. Not the taking, not the before with the, with the happiness. And not, the journey in the car to the drug dealer was the most intoxicating, where all four chemicals were happening in the brain that, that, that need to happen every day to, to make sure that we're happy, joyous, and free. And then what happened if, you, if the person didn't get the substance after that? Um, well, one or two things. It, would, uh, it depends how, how bad the habit or the addiction is. We become very, very sick. And, it's, and it's, it's definitely hospital that we need to make sure we don't die. 
I would go to a lot of lengths to make sure I got alcohol. I, I remember grabbing a shopping cart at four o'clock in the morning and smashing through a liquor store. I got through the glass, went to the, the, the cabinet, opened it, got my bottle of vodka out, sat there and just drank it and waited for the police to come and arrest me. That's how insane I was. Wow. And you're absolutely right. Nobody was helping you through this because nobody knew what you were going through. Correct. Nobody wanted to. What was going on? Well, I went to my doctor and he, and he says, I think you're an alcoholic. And I, I said, what should I do? And he said, hey, there's some 12-step meetings out there. You need to go there, which is all well and good. Don't get me wrong. But when I asked what alcoholism was, he replied, you know, you're drinking too much alcohol. Well, there was nobody around me that, that knew, you know, and nobody knew what I was going through. Nobody, everyone thought I was insane. My children were taking off me. The last thing my daughter said to me, I've never seen my youngest daughter, 30 odd years on, I've never seen her. She's never gotten in touch since the age of one, um, was that I'm just absolutely insane and I've had to get locked up in a sanitarium or I'm going to die on the streets. And, and they were happy. Everyone was happy because they, they did, well, washed their hands of me and they didn't know how to help me. And God bless my mom. She, she worried that much. She actually died of cancer, but it was brought on a lot quicker by the worrying from me. So... That's what amazed me looking back. It's like, what's the treatment for this? And most people go, we, we don't know, you know? We just don't know. There's no, there's no cure for alcoholism is what I found out. But hey, there's no cure for food poison or the common cold, which really intrigued me. I'm like, well, there must be something that I can fully recover from. And that's when we carried on doing our research and we found out there's a 100% chance that you can recover from alcoholism, you just can never safely drink alcohol ever again. It's just that that molecule should not touch your lip. That's it. Correct. Correct. Yeah. It's not the alcohol, remember? It's the mental obsession. It's me thinking I'll get away with it. I'll just have one drink. I never had just one drink. All the mind games that my hypothalamus is telling me, just drink, just drink, just drink, just drink. It's like going to the doctor and he taps you on the knee to see your reflexes. You can't stop that knee from jumping. I couldn't stop from drinking. That's how powerful it is. I mean, we just can't stop. And that's the misunderstanding is that nobody knows. We do today. And at that 100%, it's related to trauma. Because trauma in a young child and trauma in a child with alcoholism that's not fully flourished yet is totally different. So alcohol is one pathway to this. Would there be different kinds of addictions that you would just replace the word alcohol with? Yeah, I mean, drug addiction, porn addiction, sex addiction, TV, cake, food. I mean, it just goes on and on. iPhones, that's the, we're not going to see the fallout for another five to 10 years, but what's happening with iPhones is the kids are all, they're all plugged in online. They don't, they've not got any social skills when they meet the real people. So heads down in the phone 24 hours a day. And what's going to happen is we're going to have problems with them kids growing for relationships with girls, with boys with husband, with wives, with family, with kids. It's like you, you go into a restaurant now and you just look around. You see a family of four, kids are on the phone. And maybe dad's on the phone for work. You know, you just look around today's industry. That's going to affect the human brain because isolation is the number one killer on death row. You know, it kills the mind. It kills, we go insane before we get to the chair or before we get to the needle. We've done our own tests. We have a huge you know, a uh, death penalty um, uh, prison here in Texas that we visited. So the isolation alone, uh, we're going to have huge issues. But, you know, how many times do parents just in the house go, oh, just give them an iPad? Every child I see these days, every, every, child, every family I visit and there's kids there, 
with the dad an alcoholic and you look over and the kids are on PlayStation or the kids are on iPad and it's just like, oh my goodness, we've got some serious problems ahead. You know, in fact, that is so true. I was just driving down the other way and every time I stop, I look around and see how many people are on their phones. And it's just like drinking and driving. It is your yes. phone and driving. It's the same replacement yes. that has happened. I love that. I'm going to use that in future. God, that's amazing. But it's so true because the attention is not on what you're doing. The attention is on the phone. And I don't know about you when you're driving, but I went to swat a fly once in the car and I turned around for what seemed like a millisecond and I hit a lamppost. Yeah. And he was just like, oh my, it's like, you need to concentrate on what we're doing. But yeah, drink driving and the eye, oh my goodness, that's a great message. I had a similar experience with a wasp in my car. We come back from the <laughs> I swapped, <laughs> opening the window. And by the time I looked back, I was almost on the other end of the yeah. other yeah. side of the road. Yeah, absolutely. And we are constantly taking our eyes off it. It's quite crazy. So Dr. Kelly, how does a family start the process of helping somebody? Because like you said, it's a self-diagnosed thing. If a person does not diagnose alcoholism themselves, the family has to do at least something, right? Especially in India, we're very, you know, like family oriented. All of that is taking place here. How should the family help? Great question. You know, nobody's going to come out ever in the past, especially in certain countries, and say, I have alcoholism, I have a drink problem. So it's all hush-hush. It's what we call sweep under the carpet in the families. And um, the first thing we should do is just watch, watch your children, you know, your teenagers, watch hubby, watch wife. If they start to isolate, if they start, you see them drinking too much, you know, it's not the quantities or when or how. It's just that you'll see that, that uh, abuse of the alcohol and if dad's got alcoholism, then you know it's probably alcoholism. The first thing I ask everybody to do is start dialogue. Is to sit okay. down and, and say, hey, I have a concern. Now, the best way to do it is when you, I feel, is what we use, is when you drink first thing in the morning, I feel scared. Rather than going, you drink too much. Yeah. So share them feelings and let them know how you feel. Nobody can argue with feelings. They can argue with a comment, they can argue with your own opinion, but you can't argue with feelings because when you drink in the morning, it, makes, it hurts me, it makes me feel sad that you're going to die. You know, so start that dialogue off, see if we can control the drinking, but it's going to drink Friday, Saturday and Sunday this week. If the person you suspect is an alcoholic or drinking too much can do that over a considerable period, three, four months, then he hasn't got a problem. But you'll find if there's alcoholism in the family that he won't go that long. The second thing you need to do is jump on the internet and do your research to call somebody. Now, our company, you can call you know, 24 hours a day. We will help you. We're not going to try and sell you anything. We'll help you and we'll direct you know, some stuff for you to do. So yeah, that, that's the first two things. And then find out. Can I ask a question here? Yes. Is it possible to have a conversation with, with somebody who's an alcoholic? Like the examples that you were giving were so extreme that can you actually sit down and have a conversation with somebody? Would they be like coherent like I, I don't uh, know yeah well at times believe when they're sleeping and they wake up first time they set the first drink bang that's the time not when they're intoxicated you're not going to do anything there and so it's I not when they're what, craving the first drink it is not when they are 35 drinks down it is correct. after the first one yes okay. so the first one settles the nerves and, and makes them feel okay that's when the conversation needs to happen first of all okay and and then plan it from there and jump on the internet or call us uh, my staff will, will explain what, what you're dealing with, how to get away with it. And we always say this to the wives or husbands of, of the spouse of an alcoholic. If you've got questions you don't know the answer to, you get on the website and you come find us. And we have staff here that will talk to you for the next five years and it will not, never cost you a dime. 
or a penny. It's just that we, we have the information that we want to share with families. We can get the alcoholic well. That's not a problem. I have a 97, 98% success rate. Other people, treatment centers have a 3 5%. So we know what we're doing, but we're there for the wives, free of charge, all the time. I don't care if you call every single day and speak to my staff and go, okay, well, this has happened. What should I do? But we'll talk you through that because it, this is a family disease and you need somebody that's not going to try and grab $20,000 off you and stick the patient into a treatment center for 30 days. It's not going to work. It comes home to all the problems. Our work is telehealth only. You have to recover in your own environment with the family and the wife because it's a family recovery. So dialogue, monitor, internet, call us if need be. And between them, you'll find out that there is life after alcoholism. Believe me, there is. That is so beautiful. And you hit the nail on the head, you know, especially from a, as a habit coach, when people leave their environment and go somewhere else and create a structure for themselves and come back into that old environment, it is completely different. There is no way <laughs> yeah. that they can carry the same thing they learned there back into their homes. It has to happen in their house. I love that. Yeah. yeah, you're the only person that said that to me, but we explain it the same. You know, let's say one house here, which is the alcoholic house, uh, speaks English, for instance. And then what happens is they take it out of that house and they stick them in a treatment center. Now, recovery has its own language. So let's say we teach them Japan, Japanese, for 30 days. And then what we do is we pick them up and we stick them back in the English-speaking house. I have a guess what he's going to do. He's going to start speaking English again. So everybody needs to recover in the house. We, we work with the husband, we work with the wife, we work with anybody over the 18 in the house. So we know what we're dealing with and the understanding that the trauma that has brought to the family. You know, people always say, especially the wives, they go, hey, well, this is not my problem. It's my husband's problem. And in some cases, we've said back to them, well, your trauma is stopping you from living your life and you're in danger. Well, it's not my problem. Well, it is your problem because you've allowed this to go on for 12 months. You allowed your husband in a drunken rage not only to slap you, but to slap your children. What do you mean it's not about you? It's 100% about you. Why are you letting this go on? What trauma have you suffered in your past that allows this to go on? And when we go back and research that with them, go back in the family tree, we find out that mom and dad, it's called enmeshment and learned behavior. And the same with what you were saying before, it's that any addiction over a period of time becomes a problem. Even going to the gym becomes a problem when you're spending all day there. And it's, it's that understanding, the enmeshment. And what happens is generations will continue to generations unless somebody breaks it. So abuse people, abuse. Hurt people, hurt. Because when you're being brought up in that environment and you see mom and dad fighting most of the time and dad drunk, what will happen to that daughter is they will grow up and they will attract, it's called the mirroring part of the brain, they will attract the same person your dad was. And what happens is they come back to me 10, 20 years on and go, this guy's an alcoholic and he's beating me most days. And I go, what was your parents or your caregivers? Oh, it's like we have to look at this learned behavior because we attract what we think we are worth. So if you've seen this goes on, if you see mom putting up with dad and the violence in the house, you will attract that guy. Believe me, you will. And you won't know how you've done it or why you've done it, but you will attract that guy that will do exactly the same to you because you think it's normal. That's insane. It's just like you're passing that trauma on and on and on and on. It's a vicious cycle. It's just like you're inheriting it. Yeah, well, um, children don't know that they can inherit trauma. People don't know through a measurement that we can inherit mom's depression. 
We can inherit a lot of things that we go on and we have problems with later on in life. And the problem with any addiction, as you know, is you, you can't, the correlation between the, the event today and what caused this trauma, the normal human being can't put them together. It's like, this happened, so now you're behaving in a, in a way like that. It's like, what? And when we go back, we realize that the correlation is true and it's solid. Like, I have 97 pairs of shoes, which is wow. kind of insane. But, yeah. and I didn't know this, therapist took me back. And I used to walk to school with holes in my socks and my shoes in the snow. My mom and dad said they couldn't afford shoes but twice a year. But what the therapist pointed out is, did mom and dad have holes in their shoes and socks when they went to the bar every Friday and Saturday and Sunday night? And that was trauma. That was child. Anything less than nurturing as a child is child abuse. So when I grew up, I found a couple of years ago when the therapist talked to me, is when I have a little tiny hole in my sock, I throw them away. When I have a, a shoe that's scuffed, I throw them away. And I have to have all these shoes because of the trauma when I used to go to school with holes in my socks and my shoes. You wouldn't put that together normally. Oh, and that's how deep trauma goes and the effect it has in our later life as we grow up. All right, and that was Dr. Rob Kelly. We were talking about addiction and alcohol now. There's a second part to this where we deep dive into a very personal story and understanding how alcohol can completely change your life and how you can change if you have an alcoholic problem or if you have a family member who's an alcoholic. Now, if you like this podcast, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can listen to us on the IBM Podcast app or ibmpodcast.com. You can also follow us on social media. We are at IBM Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to reach out to me, I am at Ashton Doc on Twitter and Instagram. We have a brand new habit coaching online course, quizzes, videos, and a lot more on the website awesome180.com. So check it out now. Don't you think that if everyone around you is getting smart, you better be smarter? Hey there, I'm the traveling professor Siddharth Deshmukh and I'm back with season 2 of my podcast to make you smarter. Smarter with Sid. What's this season's focus about? Well, it's about 10-minute nuggets that will make you stand out at work. It's time to go from smart to smarter. Tune in every Tuesday and Thursday and become smarter with Sid. wonder why China does the things that it does, or want to know how we could improve online privacy, or perhaps you're thinking about how we can kickstart India's economy. If you'd like to search for the answers to such questions, check out All Things Policy, a daily public policy podcast that covers everything from employment figures to aircraft carriers. Tune in from Monday to Friday for new episodes and fresh takes. 